Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen, everybody. This one thing I know, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. You may not know their story, but everybody has a story. And I'm thankful for the goodness of the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles this evening, I want you to join me in the book of Luke, chapter 23. We're going to read one verse, verse number 34. From there, we will continue and conclude this evening with uh, just a series of services. We've been talking about what happens when God's people pray. Very easy sometimes just to think that our words are vaporized and they're meaningless and what took place only took place in the, in the, in the, within the confines of our mind. And, amen. We've all felt that way, haven't we? Got up. Amen. Felt that just somehow that was an exercise in futility. But I, I've been thankful for revisiting some passages just to, just to see how God does work. And it doesn't always work the same way in our lives. It certainly doesn't always work the same way in every situation. But I'm thankful to know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. I have chosen tonight a, a passage of scripture that summarizes a, or captures just a snapshot of Calvary and what has taken place. And, and uh, just a couple of days ago, Brother Jerry Herndon gave me a copy of a message by Brother Ray Klepper, uh, Calvary. From a physician's point of view, Calvary through the eyes of a physician. And um, Brother Klepper is an anesthesiologist and has spent his life and career in the medical field. And oh, what a challenging message. And uh, to have just listened to that just a few days ago, have that resonating in my heart and spirit, just kind of changes your perspective a little bit about that moment. Sometimes we hear Calvary and we become so familiar with it we lose the impact perhaps of, of that. But if you can follow me now with just one scripture, the Bible says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I want you to listen to what was happening as he prayed this prayer. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Amen. And so what happens? What happens when we pray? Even in moments of agony, moments of, of, of human uncertainty, what happens? Amen. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for the tremendous privilege that you have given us to come together into this house, and now, oh God, to feel your power and your presence. Thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach God to such wonderful people and I ask you to help my mind to be anointed of you 
And help my lips tonight, God, to be submitted to your will, my mind to your will. And I pray that your word would pierce our heart, challenge us and change us in Jesus' name. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. I am humbled, as I mentioned, to have um, been reminded of the gruesomeness of the cross, to be reminded of those moments, and then to ask yourself, why would God robe himself in flesh and walk among men, submit himself to the death, and even the scripture says even the death of the cross. And uh, so we know that he died for our sins. So I can stand and say that he died for my sins. You can say the same thing. And so if I stand and only assume that he died for my sins, and when you read Calvary's story and you just read it line by line and don't just try to summarize it into one big fluffy ball, but when you read it line by line and you understand everything that took place from Calvary's hall, from Pilate's Hall all the way until it is finished, it was a very brutal, bloody, and a gruesome scene. And so if that is the picture that we have in our mind, then should Calvary to us bring with it a sense of shame? Or should it bring to us a sense of victory? I believe the latter is true. I think that we ought to be sober and serious about Calvary's cross and purpose. But it was intent was not to shame us, but its intent was to bring victory to the human race. And so he, uh, I have to understand, and of course all of us embrace through Scripture, that Jesus did not go to the cross without serious forethought. This was not something that was just sprung on him at the last minute. In his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, certainly he agonized over his future and our destiny, without a doubt. Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, but thy will be done. And so that nevertheless, that sort of changed the perspective of everything for us. And then I thought tonight as we sang that song, I won't go back to the way things used to be. I, how could I forsake? <laughs> how could I forsake what God has done in my life? How, how could I just say thanks but no thanks and turn and walk away from what God has, has intercepted in my life? And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And as Paul gives this long, dirty laundry list of things, and then he says, and such were some of you. When I think about the things that perhaps making a decision to live for God, when I think about the things that perhaps Calvary intercepted in my own life, I, I, I've just got to think, that I, I'm going to have to lift my hands and worship when I sing songs like that, that. That remind me of where the Lord has brought me from to where I am today. Or messages that remind me of where I am today but where I can be in the future. And so I want to keep something in me driving and reaching and pressing and stretching myself to His will. Amen. And so we know that, that that prayer was prayed. The end result of that prayer, the end result of that prayer, we know that that cup was not removed. Amen. 
However, there is no doubt that the will of the Lord was not accomplished. Jesus walked from the Garden of Gethsemane right straight into the hands of an enemy. He walked voluntarily into the arms of the hands of men that beat him and mocked him and ultimately hung him on the cross. In truth, he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But in truth, he wound up drinking from that cup. It did not pass from him. He experienced his worst nightmare, and the worst nightmare that anyone could experience from a strictly human perspective. However, in doing so, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he made life, a new life, possible for every one of us who sit in this house today. And so we're not here under duress. I, I'm not here because somebody arm wrestled me and I lost today and now I, I'm in church. I'm not here because I lost a bet, but I'm here because I felt like the spirit of David blew in my heart today and said, I was glad when they said unto me that it was Wednesday and we could go to the house of the Lord and worship Him. And I'm not mad about being here. I'm rather glad about being here. The spirit of the Lord has brought us. And so it was that same willingness that took him to the cross. Willingly, willingly. Hebrews 12 says, Who for the joy that was set before him. Amen. He willingly went to the cross. I believe that he not only willingly went to the cross, but I believe without regret he went to the cross. I think there are many things that would substantiate that throughout Scripture. But when we think about the, when we think about how self-centered that Jesus could have been at this moment in his life. Again, if we're not careful, these stories we read in the Bible just become Sunday school stories. And if we're not very careful to capture the essence of the moment, we may kind of write some things off that shouldn't be written off. And so when we think about how selfish he could have been at this moment, and yet he was thinking about those that were around him. As a matter of fact, uh, one of them that hung with him on the cross, one man who uh, apparently deserved to be there of those that were hanging, Jesus took time to reach just one more. And when he said, remember me, remember me, Jesus replied in Luke twenty-three forty-two. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. A moment that he could have been selfish. He could have said, man, you got to work out your own problems. Can't you see the duress that we're all in? Can't you understand? I don't have time for this right now. But nevertheless, there was something in him that was reaching. Something that was reaching for one more. He knew why he was hanging on that cross. This was, as I mentioned a moment ago, not a surprise. It wasn't to teach a lesson or to show his love. It was for one purpose and one purpose only. And that was to save men from their sins. Thank God. Thank God. In Matthew's account, the angel of the Lord said this. We read this often in December I'm not sure about the rest of the year, but Matthew 121, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There was one intention, there was one focus, there was one plan, and so he went willingly and without regret. Luke said in 19 and 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek, to seek, to seek and save that which is lost. And so he was on a mission, a man on a mission. 
if there had ever been another way to save people, if there had been another way, perhaps that way would have been taken. But there was no other way. There had to be a spotless lamb. And so there was a child born in a manger with a mission. There was no other way. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so there had to be blood shed from a spotless lamb. And so he went to the cross. And so when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he paid the ransom for our sin. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wage of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm thankful today to know that that price was paid. And so there are times that we pray, and the answer is not that the cup passes from us, but the answer is that we're going to have to go through and carry on. But I am going to honor my word. I'm going to stand with you. In one act, Jesus paid the debt for our sin and provided a way for us to experience eternal life. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for that. I have been encouraged through the years, and I don't mean this to sound morbid, but I have been encouraged through the years when I have been proverbially, or in some cases literally, holding the hands of men and women in their dying days, and their dying, some of them, hours. And you just see the resolve that is in their heart. Yes, they're going to miss their family and, 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 and their life here, so to speak. But when you see the resolve that is in their heart, to know that when I draw my last breath here, I will just draw my first breath there. To know that when I take the next step, it will be Jordan's sweet shore that my foot finds. When I know that I reach my hand out one more time, I won't just reach and feel the hand of another human, but I'm going to feel the hand of God. That resolve, that forever settled hope that resides in the heart of men and women. I'm thankful today. I'm thankful today to know those that have gone on before that have kept the faith. In my prayers, I try very diligently to thank the Lord, thank the Lord for those men and women that have gone on before me. Those that just held on. Assailing winds began to blow against them, but they just kept standing. When you're a child or when you're young, you just kind of feel like maybe they were able to stand because their life was different and they had no problems. But the older you get, you realize that they were drawing the same air that we're drawing, living the same world that we're living in, and they were housed in the same flesh that we're housed in, and somehow they just kept walking on. They just kept pressing on. They, like the Apostle Paul, when the viper would strike, would just shake it off in the fire and keep pressing on somehow. And so I say, Lord, thank you. I want to thank you for those that have tramped out a clear path. We're not trying to fuddle our way through the dark, grope our way through the fog of uncertainty. But I'm thankful for those that have gone on and left a clear path for us to follow. Hallelujah. When He shed His blood, He paid the price for our sin. Another reason I think there was no regret concerning the cross was the fact that Jesus prayed this prayer that I read in our text. He said, Forgive them. For they know not what they do. While he's praying for forgiveness, they are dividing his raiment. <laughs> and they're casting lots. Despite the wounds, the pain that had been afflicted, inflicted upon him, Jesus looked down upon the very ones who mocked him. Now I want you to think about this. It's a lot easier to amen a lot of stuff than it is to live it. 
And I'll tell you, if I could just be real, real honest with you tonight, it's a lot easier to preach some stuff than it is to live it. <laughs> but when you kind of step out of, the, out of this world and into some of the pages of this book, it can leave a lot more mud on your boots than you ever anticipated. It can be a lot more difficult than you ever, ever in your wildest dream thought possible. But he looked down upon the very ones that beat him and mocked him and spat on him. There they were gambling for his clothes. And he prayed, Lord, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. What a powerful display of compassion for humanity. Someone told me many years ago, and I have found this to be exactly true, that people do what they do because they think they're right. And so as skewed as you think the lens may be, as out of perspective and out of kilter as you think some circumstances or situations are, and perhaps they are, I will just tell you that people do what they do because they think they're right. And so when you look at this angry mob and crowd and before we wag our head in disbelief, we need to realize they were doing what they thought was right. The Apostle Paul, we have no idea how many people that Saul of Tarsus had killed in the church and how many had been tortured and tormented and how many lives had been changed. But he was doing what he was doing because he thought he was doing the right thing. He had an experience on the road to Damascus that forever changed not just his mind, but his path. Amen. And so when Jesus looked down, he realized they had no idea what they were doing. They didn't really know what they were doing. And so he displayed a powerful moment of compassion on the cross. This didn't take place from behind the pulpit. There was no choir singing. There was no stained glass. Therefore, the cross doesn't need to be a symbol of shame for us, but it ought to be a sign of forgiveness. So what happens when God's people pray? I believe that on the cross, I believe that what happens when God's people pray is that even from the perspective of something as gruesome as the cross, forgiveness can flow. The Spirit of God can move and lives can be impacted. Galatians 2 and 20 the Scripture says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when Jesus Christ died, he paid the penalty. Paid the penalty. You know, perhaps in most everybody's life, at some point or another, somebody picks up the tab. And sometimes we see that coming and other times we don't. We don't see that at all. There have been times that, that we, like some of you I'm sure, have been in a restaurant and when we got ready to leave, whoever was serving us come by and said, somebody's already taken care of your bill. And we, we had no clue. And sometimes we, to this moment, have no idea who even did such a thing. And so to think what, it's just an overwhelming feeling. It's an humbling feeling. It doesn't feel like, well, we deserve that. We've never come away from that, walking, walked away from that feeling like that. But how humbling. A few uh, months ago, my wife was speaking in Louisiana. And uh, the day that we were leaving town, we stopped and had lunch. And while we were there eating lunch, we uh, 
uh, had that very thing happen. We didn't find out, I don't think, till we got back to Florida, who even had paid our bill. And it was someone uh, that we had met in 1986 who recognized us because we hadn't changed a bit. <laughs> that had to be God. That had to be God. Somebody recognized us, the son of a family that we know recognized us and paid our bill. And, and so, well, it's an humbling thing. We, we just, you just felt like that thank you was insufficient in, in, in those moments. And so if, if a meal can make us feel that way or, or whatever it may have been make us feel that way, how much more ought we to feel that our sins have been lifted and that somebody paid the debt? And I, the, the old song says he paid a, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. And oh, what a, what an intersection we stood at of, of me so hopeless and helpless but he had all the power to forgive and so when he, he died on our sins so when we confess him as our Lord then our old self is crucified and he is empowering us now to live with his spirit and that's what Paul was referring to he said I live but the life that I live is not in the in the flesh it's not me but what I'm doing is, is by faith in the, in the power of God who gave himself for me and so how do people live for God it's not supernatural I promise you that. There's not some lever that they pull, a button that they push. There's not three tablets you take a day. But it's not the power of me, but it's the power of God. To get up one day at a time and say, God, today, today I am going to live for you. I may stumble. I may falter. I may fail. I may find myself in the dust of failure. But I'm going to get up. I'm going to brush myself off. And I'm going to realize that when I pray... When I ask you to touch me, you don't turn a deaf ear and you don't close an eye, but you extend mercy, forgiveness, and understanding and grace into my life. And so if we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we're living the power of a resurrected Lord in our lives. But if we're here, if you're here tonight and you don't have the Holy Ghost, there's no need to leave without it. Amen. There's no need to leave without it. You're in the best place. You're in the best place. For the last several Wednesday nights, we've been looking into the subject of prayer. and More specifically, we've been talking about and looking into the lies, examples of what happens when people pray. <clears throat> My motivation for these messages have not been sinister by any stretch of the imagination. I think that we've all experienced seasons of our lives, as I mentioned in my opening comments, where we just wondered if anything was happening about the situations we're praying about. I mean, there are some things you just pray and God just seems like moves either instantly or certainly in a, uh, in a fashion that is satisfactory. And then there are other times we just feel like our prayers are just... And that's so frustrating. It's so disappointing. And it's all right to say amen to that. <laughs> We've wondered if anything was taking place concerning... You know, we thank you, Lord, for moving over here. But what about this issue that's been on the back burner for so long? What about that? Well, that, that said, I think it's good to take time to look into the lives of other people. Not only to examine their lives uh, to, to, find, to find strength, but we can also examine their lives and, and, and find direction. See what the Lord did for them. And, and so we need to glean from their experiences so we too can find that so often needed peace for our situation. And so for just a few moments, I want us to look over our shoulder and remember where we've been for the last few Wednesday nights. James 4 and 2 is a scripture that we quote in part at least. We say, you have not because you ask not. And over the past few weeks, we've discovered that 
several answers that God gives when we pray. Several things that are several different ways that God answers us, answers us when we pray. We've often discovered that, that God hears us when we pray. Now I find consolation in that. I'm the kind of person I can't talk to a moving audience. And I know that's not always convenient, but I can't talk to somebody if they're walking all around the room. I mean, I can talk in general, but if I need to talk to somebody about something, we need to be still, both of us. <laughs> As the old fellow said, all both of us. <laughs> all both of us need to be still just a minute. Because I just feel like my points are just, they're just hung in all corners of the building. And so I, I just need some undivided attention if we're going to talk about something. And so I, I take great consolation, I personally take great consolation of the fact that God hears me when I pray. Amen. That I know that I'm not trying to have to talk to a God that's looking over his shoulder and all, or my shoulder and things of that nature. So I take great consolation in knowing that when I pray, God hears me. He listens. We do know that God hears our distress calls. In our studies, we have been reminded that one way God answers prayers is by saying yes. Well, that's our favorite one of all. <laughs> in our, in, like Elijah, we talked about Elijah who boldly asked God on Mount Carmel to intervene as he faced impossible odds and impossible circumstances. But when Elijah prayed a very simple, straightforward prayer, the Lord said yes. He honored his prayer, not just once, but more than one occasion, God answered the prayers of Elijah. Or like Rhoda, and I'm not going to take every situation we discussed, but like Rhoda, who believed that God would deliver Simon Peter from jail in answer to the prayers that was being offered by the church at that very moment. Even when the people that were praying for, for, for his release didn't quite share the same measure of faith, when she went to them and said, He's here, He's knocking at the door, they wouldn't believe her. As a matter of fact, they even called her mad, which is a King James way of just saying, you're crazy. That's what they said. But Rhoda never lost her faith, even against people saying, you have feigned mad. You've lost your mind. And now that's what they were all gathered at the church praying about, but she never lost her faith. Then they tried to explain it all away and say, well, if you're not crazy, then this is just an angel that's standing at the door. And so we find that this lack of faith didn't just display itself in the life of one person, but in a whole congregation of people, no matter how many the number were, none of them believed that what they were praying about was going to even come to pass. But while they were talking and discussing all of this, whether she was crazy or whether it was an angel, Peter kept knocking at the door. And when they went to the door, they opened the door. And sure enough, while they had been praying, the very one they were praying for was standing there. And so from Rhoda, we learned that God does intervene when we pray. Even if our faith is not sufficient to match the circumstances, God can intervene in our behalf. And so our Samson, the life of Samson that we just recently talked about, when he stood blinded and belittled by his own failure and his own jaded past, he prayed for strength one more time, just one more time, to fulfill his life's mission. Now remember that, and I really want you to understand that part of that statement. That, that Samson prayed, God, would you touch me one more time? Because he had to fulfill his life's mission. The angel of the Lord came to his father and his mother. 
and said, you're going to have a child, and this is going to be his purpose in life, and he's going to have the vow of a Nazarite. We talked all about that. And so Samson was born with a purpose, a life purpose. And so he said, Lord, I need strength now to fulfill, in essence, my life purpose. And so he prayed for that strength, and God said, yes. And so with his hands on the pillars of the temple, Samson prayed this prayer. In Judges 16 and 28, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all of his might, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And so Samson prayed, and God said, Yes, but I want to remind you one more time that this was not the same Samson that stood with a jawbone in his hand. This was not the same Samson that picked up the gates of the city and carried them to yonder hill. This was not the same Samson that just slew a lion that jumped out into his path and the scripture said, and there was nothing in his hands. This was not that man. No, this was a broken man. This was a blinded man. This was, was a belittled man. This was a man whose ego had been wadded away, wadded up and thrown away. This was a man whose life had been tattered, torn, and shredded. This was a man who had very, very, very little left to offer. But he was still God's man. <laughs> life and life decisions had robbed him of a whole lot but he still had God's hand on his life. And so, I believe God takes joy in saying yes when we pray. Even if what is left is not what was started with, God still said yes. James said, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then there are times that God says, and I'm just literally putting this in our language. There are times that God says yes to our prayer, but we find ultimately that there are strings attached. That's maybe how we would put it. We find that in the life of Daniel. In Daniel 6 and 20, the Bible says, And when he came to the den, speaking of the king, He cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? God had indeed shut the mouth of the lions. But that didn't mean Daniel didn't have to spend the night with them. Amen. The three Hebrew children were delivered from the fiery furnace, but it didn't mean they didn't have to go through the fire. No smell of smoke, no singed hair. And they were not obviously alone. 
And so there are sometimes God says, yes, yes, you're going, but I'm going to go with you. I'll deliver you. You're going to have to experience some things that may just alter your comfort level. But I'm going to stand with you. I don't know what the three Hebrew children were thinking. We know uh, we've always preached this from a very powerful, positive point of view. But I'm going to tell you, there were three human beings that were thrown into a furnace. We should never forget that. He doesn't always take our problems away, but the comfort is that we don't have to go through them alone. In the prayer, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus prayed and taught what we call the Lord's Prayer, a model of prayer, if we may put it as such. Jesus did not instruct us in that prayer. He said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't instruct us to say, give me my daily bread. But he said, give us today our daily bread. It's not me, it's us and ours. And so there's a lesson there. I think even the the poorest among us, and I'm not just speaking of financially, whatever we may find that the poorest among us should be concerned about the needs of others. Amen. Our tendency sometimes when we have a need is to focus on that need alone. And in doing so, we often neglect to think about others who have needs in their lives as well. And so knowing the carnal nature that resides, Jesus said, this is how you ought to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Because he knows our natural tendency is going to be to look out for us. You remember when you were a child and, and uh, you know, rarely when you're growing up, especially maybe a bunch of siblings or cousins or something like that, there's generally you're not all the same age. There's an older one and somehow age gives you prominence and you know, so the, the, the adults give one stick of gum to one child for them to divide. And who gets the bigger half? Whoever's dividing, right? There's very few people that take a stick of gum and fold it completely in half, get the crease just right, and tear it in the sight of plain sight of everybody else. Generally, they just pull off a little piece and here you go. <laughs> right? You don't have to be taught to do that. It is in us when things are limited. To get what I want. When storms are in the Gulf, swirling all around, there's nobody standing at the grocery store door saying, Y'all come on in now. Let's divide all this up. But people are buying more bread than they could consume in a month. More milk, more ice, right? Because it's all about me. <laughs> it's all about me. And then sometimes the Lord says yes to our prayer and then only gives us a limited view of what that yes really meant. And I don't know of a story that portrays that any more, with any more beauty and with any more flavor than the story of Ruth, who God did indeed bless on this earth. She was widowed, wound up following her mother-in-law to a strange land, they had nothing to offer. She was just picking up a little grain, and the man that owned the farm said, I think I will marry that girl. Amen. She knew that she had been blessed and highly favored. She knew that God had really touched her and blessed her in this life, but God kept his hand over her eyes, and she left this world not knowing the extent of God's blessing. 
She knew about God's grace through Boaz as a kinsman redeemer, but she did not know that that union would produce the bloodline that would lead to the redeemer of the world. Amen. Luke 18 and 7. I read this a few nights ago. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which shall cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? God does answer our prayer. However, he doesn't always tell us when or if, or we don't even always know the fullest results of our prayer. And then sometimes, ultimately, and many times, if not every time, for our good, God says, no. No. Now, no is not ever easy to hear because we're programmed the other way. But the Apostle Paul said, Lord, I've sought three times to remove this thorn in my flesh. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient. And so what God said, I'm not going to give you what you asked for because I'm giving you something better than a thorn in the flesh. And so God was offering His grace as our musicians come. So what happens as people pray? I believe that we understand how many times God does answer our prayer, hear our prayer, how He is moving when we're unaware but there is, a, there is a question that kind of pierces our heart. We think about what happens when God's people pray. But isn't it a kind of a frightening thought to ask yourself what happens if we don't pray? What happens if we abandon this tenet of faith and we don't pray? It's a pretty frightening thought. When you consider the things that we could possibly miss out on by not praying, it makes me want to turn down all the noise that I possibly can and get alone with Him. In all honesty, much of the added emphasis on prayer in our church this year, in 2014, has been the end result of my own desire to get closer to God. I, I felt, and I always try to get the mind of the Lord for an upcoming year. I know time is not anything to God, but it is to us. And and I think it, because it matters to us, it matters to God. And I just felt as I prayed about 2014 that God just began to pour into my life, into my mind, my heart, a greater passion for prayer. And so it was not just a desire for me to grow closer to God as an individual, but I have wanted to emphasize prayer to us as a church because I want us to get closer to God. Because, you know, I'm thankful for a beautiful place to worship the Lord. And I'm thankful for talented people that God has blessed us to help with leadership in the church. But, you know, that would mean very, very little if we were just carnal. That would mean little if we were worldly. It really it really would. And so my prayer is, we need to be a spiritual church. Not just a blessed church, not just a favored church. We need to be a spiritual church. Now, I know that sounds like a great big duh. 
But I'm telling you, sometimes spirituality can be lost along the way. Get so caught up in the mechanics of what we're doing that we forget that we need God in all of this. Amen. And so I realized that they, there was room in my life, there was room in my prayer life for improvement. Now, I don't want you to take that statement out of context because I feel that we all need to feel an urgency to pray differently. I need to hear from God. and I need to have a hunger for His voice to rule and reign in my life. And I don't ever want to stand behind this pulpit or any other pulpit without preaching to me. I don't want to just be preaching at other people, but I want to preach to me. Amen. Because I want to be saved. And so, at the beginning of this year, I felt a need like never before for there to be a change in my own personal prayer life. And additionally, that to bleed down into our church as well. And I've learned a lot over the last several months of this year. And I can honestly say, and I I hope you take this in the spirit that I'm saying it, that because of... Because I believe of an obedience to that prompting, I feel a richness in prayer that I haven't felt before. Amen. Is that all right to say? (laughs) Amen. I'm not trying to sound super spiritual. I don't have it all figured out. I'm desperately trying to draw near to the Lord just like you. But it has helped me, I guess is what I'm trying to say, to look into the lives of other people and just see how God does hear and answer prayer And how He does move differently in different situations. And as we stand, I want to just close with this thought. And I I hope you don't think this is just too elementary of an illustration. But, you know, for many, many years, um, you know, we, we purchased things through the mail for years. It has not been as convenient in times past as it is today. <laughs> but we've always had Sears catalogs and things of that nature. Some of these poor old young folks don't know what a catalog is. But years ago when you placed an order, you just you didn't know anything until it showed up at your door. And so through the last several years, Jackie and I find ourselves ordering more and more things online. It's often cheaper and it's far more convenient to shop from the comfort of your own home, of course, unless you're just into the crowds. But And some people are, and that's all right. But for me, for me personally, the added bonus, I love, 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 love. (laughs) Did I say love? I love tracking numbers. I told you it was an elementary illustration and and there's probably going to be a blessing Jesus in the crowd before it's over with. But I just love to get a tracking number and and I watched that baby. Order was received in Seattle, Washington. It left the dock at such and such time. And then I can't hardly wait. The first thing the next day, I check. I do. I really do. And we're, we have two, two chairs in our house. And we have more than two chairs, but I mean, we have, <laughs> there, there was a blessing, Jesus. We have two chairs in our home, and my wife sits in one, I sit in one, and, and I just can't help but tell her, I said, it's in Colorado. <laughs> Made it to Nashville last night. 
And you just watch that come in. And my favorite, favorite part of the whole process is this. Out for delivery. I saw some of you moving your lips to me so I'm not the only one. And you just know, out for delivery. Today. It's coming in today. It's coming in today. And you know what? Somehow, in my little old elementary way, somehow looking at how God works has almost been a tracking number. I know it's not that simple. But you just realize that just because I can't see it, for years we were in the dark. We didn't know until it got on the doorstep. But to be able to see those little trace marks of it's making its way, it's making its way. And if we could have a tracking number, is my whole point. Your prayer is somewhere in the journey. It has left the dock. It has left the dock. Hallelujah. It has left. If you could just somehow see, we're not praying in vain. This is not an exercise in futility. Amen. I love the Lord, don't you? Why don't we gather around the front? Amen. Let's worship Him. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.